This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to Grief Relief. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host. Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, we have got a good friend on the show today and one that's going to inspire everybody with what he's done with his life, going through, you know, a number of tragedies. So we want to get with it and introduce him because it's just going to be filled with wonderful information. Absolutely, Mom. And we have interviewed Tom Zuba before and several people have been emailing me lately saying, oh my gosh, you've got to interview Tom, this this amazing guy named Tom. And I said, yes, we have. And so we're bringing him back on today to talk about what he is currently doing. And he is an inspiration um, about how you can find hope after loss. And mom, as you know, Tom has had multiple losses and we are going to talk about finding hope after multiple losses today. And Tom Zuba is a life coach, author, and speaker teaching a new way to do grief. When Tom was only six, his baby brother died, and in 1990, Tom's daughter Erin died suddenly, his wife Trisha died in 1999, and his son Rory died in 2005. He's the author of the upcoming book, Permission to Mourn, A New Way to Do Grief. Welcome back to the show, Tom. Thank you. It's really glad to be here. It's great to have you on, Tom. Now, I think, okay, I'm out in the audience and I'm saying, oh my gosh, what, you know, Let's. We're going to have to recap really quickly again. Your brother died as a baby when he was baby, and you were six years old, right? That's correct. And then you had your daughter Erin died suddenly. Uh, she was how old was she? Erin was eighteen months, and and literally, uh, she was sick on a Wednesday, uh, on a Friday. She was sick on a Friday, and Wednesday morning was diagnosed with something called hemolytic uremic syndrome. And they said uh, they knew how to treat her. She would get better. And that evening at 510, she was dead. Wow. And then your wife and you dealt with that for nine years. And she died in 1990. So nine years later, your wife became suddenly ill in 1999. She did. She did. We had two boys after Aaron died. And really, uh, when our son Sean was born, the younger of the two, we had found that new normal. I just really wanted to have a normal kind of boring life again. And it was, I mean, in a really, really good way. Um, so I was just thrilled with the place that we had created for ourselves. And a couple of days after Christmas, my wife uh, complained of chest pain. And literally on New Year's Day of 1999, after 52 hours in the hospital, she died. Um, remarkably, the wow. next day would have been our daughter's 10th birthday. Oh, jeez. And she was only 43 years old. Trish was, right? She, she was. She was. And my kids were three and seven. And I'll, I'll, I'll wow. tell you, on New Year's Day, on New Year's Day, I had to tell my boys that their mom died. And my little son, Sean, who was three, I mean three, he put both hands on my cheeks and looked me straight in the eye and said, well, Daddy then you're going to have to be our parent now. Wow. And we could do a whole show on that, how uh, how that went. But then um, in uh, 
six years later, and by, and by the way, I, I want to put in what you did at that time. And, you know, I re got the privilege of reading uh, some the manuscript of your new book that will be coming out. And I, you actually got an insurance policy that you'd taken out on her because she wanted to have another baby, Trish. And so you got, she got an insurance policy, and you actually got it a few days later, and you moved to Walnut Creek, California to be in the sun, and you decided you're going to do grief differently and really be with it, I think. Would, would that all be correct? A absolutely, absolutely. You know, as I reflect back on my life, it's only in hindsight my life has always prepared me for what's next. I mean, who who would have thought that that you know I was taking out life insurance, as you said, because we wanted to have another child, we wanted to expand our business. You know, we were grown up adults. Finally, we needed you know to take responsibility. Just a very short time after that policy was signed on the dotted line. My wife died, and that allowed me to cash it in and devote my time to myself and to my kids. Wow. And then uh, we've got to fast forward six years, because six years after your wife died, Trish died, Rory got a brain tumor, and you in 2005, yes. he died. He did, he did. And you know, it was one of those things where... We had found our new normal again. I was really, really proud of myself. You know, it's me, it's my son, Sean, my son, Rory, and I was loving life, and the kids were really, really happy. And all of a sudden, Rory had a seizure one night, was misdiagnosed for months and months, finally had surgery. I was told he had a glioblastoma. There was no hope. And on February 22nd, 2005, he died. Uh, he was 13. My son, Sean, was in fourth grade. Uh, I could not believe it. And now it is Tom and Sean together facing the world. Right, right. And Sean is 18. He graduated from high school. Thank God he's still living with me. He's going to the junior college in town. And I have to tell you, Sean Brennan-Zuba has never been happier in his entire life. I am just so proud of him. Ah, that is awesome to hear. And you live in Rock Rockford? Is it Rockford? Rockford, Illinois. Yeah, Rockford, yep, Illinois. But guess what, people? We're going to tell you about some of the work, wonderful work that Tom's doing. And because of the Internet, you can hear him on our show. But you can also, he's doing some Skyping with groups and things. So um, keep that in your mind, and we'll talk about that towards the end of the show. So you can connect with him. Well, Heidi, what's your question? What is a, a, a question for Tom on, on everything? What's your thought? I guess my biggest question for Tom is here you've had... A brother die, a daughter die, a son die, a wife die, all very young. How? And yet you are such an optimistic person, Tom. And I'm just wondering, my mom and I have always been struck by that. How are you able to stay in that place? And how are you able to get to that place, I guess I should ask you? Okay, this is what I really, really want to underscore. Um, think about it. If your daughter dies, if your wife dies, if your son dies, you go into the deepest, darkest, most bottomless, hopeless pit of despair. I have been there. I, I really don't want to minimize that. Um, I have mm -hmm. considered suicide. I have thought that there was no hope. 
that that there, that there was just no way, no how, no, 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 no. Um, and and what I like to say is, initially, I did grief the old way. I did. I didn't know what else to do. So I repressed my feelings. I denied my feelings. I pretended I was fine for a long, long time. And what I realized is that that caused pain on top of pain on top of pain. I was faking it. You know, I, I, I couldn't run fast enough. So after Trish, I, my wife Trish's death was so explosively unbelievable to me that I thought, I am not going to waste this experience, and I want to be surrounded by people that are wiser than me. So I started to read ferociously. Um, I looked for, you know, what I considered spiritual teachers. I read as many grief books as I possibly could. And I, I felt like I, you know, had come to um, a, a pretty contented place. As I said, um, you know, I, I, Rory and Sean and I had created a new normal. Okay, so in 1999, you're reading all the books, you're, and probably, you know, as time went on, 99, 2001, or whatever. And then four years later, you're probably just, it's been six years, and you're really, as you said, getting the new normal. Suddenly, here is your second child that's going to die. You know he's going to die because they can't do anything about the glioblastoma. And where are you? I mean, what did, you know, where are you with that? Did you take it differently? You know? I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you where I am. L- let, let me back up. When Trish was in the hospital, the doctor said, pray for a miracle. The only thing that will save her is a miracle. So I literally stretched my arms out and said the only prayer I could think of, the only one that really, really made sense, and that prayer is, Thy will be done. And we compiled a list of everyone that we knew, and we asked them to pray, 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 pray. So, you know, there was a part of me. I was begging, I was pleading, I was bargaining, and I was saying, Thy will be done. Okay, she died. She died. And over the years, I thought, well, you know what? Maybe I didn't say the right prayer, or maybe I didn't have the right people praying, or they weren't the right denominations. Or So with Rory, number one, I was terrorized. I was terrorized. The, the, the diagnosis of glioblastoma, it froze me in my tracks. I could not believe it. And what I decided to do was to really push the envelope with God, with the universe, with the force, whatever you want to call it. I do not care. And I thought, is there a way I can, I can heal this child? You know, can I say the right affirmation? Can I visualize appropriately? Can I get the right people saying the right prayers? You know, we banged drums. We anointed him with oil. I did everything I possibly could. I'll tell you what I didn't do. I did not go the route of chemo and radiation because when the doctor said, we can't heal him, you know, we're just going right. to buy him a couple more weeks. I believe them. So I did 
search for folks that offered me hope. I flew him to see a doctor in Seattle. We did a treatment in um, Houston. I did everything. I mean, I really, really wanted to see if I could heal that, this kid. And I couldn't. I couldn't. So, um, You know what comes up for me when you're, when you're saying that? I'll have to say something because I just wrote this down. You could, you wanted to heal that child, but what you really needed to heal was yourself. And, and I think we'll be getting to that later. Right. Let, I, I'm so glad you brought that up because Rory Brennan Suba was the most fascinating child. In, on the Stanford 9th, he scored in the 99th percentile. He was fascinated by time travel, parallel universes. He explained Einstein's theory of relativity to me. You're absolutely right, Gloria. I was not one bit concerned about him because I knew that if his work was done and he was getting ready to leave his body, his adventure was going to continue. I was a little bit envious of him. I was concerned about me because I thought, there is no way on earth I can heal from from his death. I mean, it is it is just such hard, hard, hard work. I thought, I can't do this again. So you're right. I wanted to heal him for me. Yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And so how have you done that? Let's flash forward to now. We are in, he died in 2005, and what, yeah. nine years ago? Is that yep. right? Yep. I, I literally, I entered the darkness. This is how I describe it. When Aaron died, I did not for one minute believe there was a light at the end of the tunnel. When Trish died, I knew there was a light at the end of the tunnel, so that colored that grief journey for me. And really, remarkably, after Rory died, um, that tunnel was lit. The grief tunnel was lit. I became an observer. I became a participant. Uh, I believed Carolyn Mace when she says that we control the speed at which we heal. And my objective was to heal as quickly as I possibly could. So that was my mission, that was my intention, and that was the work that I did to figure out what do I need to do to heal. And what did you do? I'm out there, I'm sitting there, I've had a couple of multiple losses, it's been time. You know, I think, one thing I want to say, Tom, and I think you'll probably agree with me, the first year, you just got to live it. You can't go around it, you can't go through it, you can't, uh, you know, you're not going to be able to do a lot. You've just got to live it. It takes almost everything you've got to do that. Well, I I agree with you, but but what was interesting for me after Rory died I had done so many things already. It's like I, I, I wasn't shocked that he died. So you'd already done some of the trip. You'd already lived some of those things that we lived through that first death. Yes, yes. I, you know, dead is dead. They're not coming back. I got that. Right, and that's um, not an easy. But, but it's I, not an easy get. It's a, it's a horrible get because it, for me, it requires such surrender. They're not coming back. They're physically not coming back. It took me a couple of years after Erin died to really, really get that. I remember after she died, I, I had a phone message from my father. And the very first thing I thought was, oh, they found Erin. They found her somewhere. So, yeah, I agree with you. It takes a long time to allow that reality to sink in. Mm-hmm. So, what, so what I did was I entered the darkness. I allowed myself to feel absolutely everything. And 
I realized was that, number one, I'm not my feelings. I, I, I can observe my feelings. I can literally observe anger, you know, surging through my body. But I'm not anger. I can observe sadness and despair and, you know, hostility, all of those things. Um, and I noticed that every feeling and every emotion has a beginning, has a middle, and has an end. And this is a really, really tough one, and people fight me on this all the time. But the truth of the matter is that all of my feelings and all of my emotions are tied to beliefs that I hold. You know, beliefs like, Rory shouldn't have died. Rory died too young. I was robbed. Um, Rory should have seen his 16th birthday. Rory should have seen his 21th birthday. As long as I hold on to those beliefs, I'm going to cause myself pain. And those and those so beliefs, yeah, and those beliefs, as our fan, friend Byron Katie would say, are a lack of living in reality. And when we don't live in the reality that they are gone and that they have died, and that then we live in that reality that something different should have happened and we suffer. I don't know, Heidi. Have you got a? You want to say something in here? I'm just saying. I'm just thinking how we all shit on ourselves and how that's what Tom was doing. This should have happened and that should have happened, etc. And how that was causing you pain to continue telling yourself these things. These things. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the. One of the most challenging books I read was Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now. I mean, I, I love loved that it, book. But, mm-hmm. but, but this, is what I, this is what I hated. This, I, I mean, I, I remember the day I wrote it. Um, when you're resisting what is, you're waging war with life. Mm-hmm. I was absolutely resisting the fact that I was a single parent, that my son Rory was dead. I was waging war with life big time. So, you know, the awareness of that was step number one, but putting down my sword, you know, and and making peace with life, that was step number two, three, four, five, and six. That was the tough part. Okay, so let's, um, we've got a few more minutes on the show. Let's talk about, uh, for lack of a better better word for it, what do you post post traumatic growth is something they're kind of throwing around now? You know, is there uh, something that happens? I I say uh, I'm a better person because I knew Scott, and uh, and I don't yes, know, you know my son that died. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, you know what? If my wife walked in the door today, she wouldn't know who I was. She wouldn't recognize me. Um, oh, I'm a fascinating human being as a result <laughs> of all the things that I've lived through and that I'm living with. Um, I was talking with someone yesterday, though, you know, is the trade-off worth it? I'm not sure, but there's not a darn thing I can do about it. I will say this. I mean, one of the tenets that I hold is that we will always, always, always have a relationship with the people that we love that died. And that's regardless of, of what our beliefs about an afterlife are. We will always still have a relationship. Well, we're connected in DNA, I, too. Yeah, yeah, and I really have a fluid, wonderful, give-and-take relationship with my daughter, with my son, and with my wife. So they're very, very much a part of this journey of mine. 
Um, I, I've expanded in ways I didn't think possible, and this is just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, I don't really think I've actually even begun. I mean, I'm just, just now kind of beginning to awaken to what this is all really, really about for me. So there's a bit of, uh, it's kind of exciting when you when you think about the possibilities in life. Did you find one of the things that I found is that you lose a lot of fear? Um, yes, although I have a really, really wonderful friend that says, the more fear there is, um, the more you know you're moving in the absolutely the right direction. Oh, well, maybe you can you put know? up. It's yeah, like maybe you can put up with more fear. I'm not saying that there isn't fear, but some of the fears you had in the past about what people would think about you, or you know, could you know, could you really do that? You were just talking about how you're kind of a special person and a fascinating person. Did you love it when he said that, Heidi? Absolutely, because I think that when you've been through this much, as much adversity as Tom has been through, and when you've been through the adversity that our listeners have been through, you realize that no matter what life throws at you, although it's going to be difficult and hard, you're going to be able to eventually survive and, like Tom has, to thrive again. If, if you do the work, if you're willing to do the work that's necessary, and it's really, really, really hard, and I think many, many people say, nah, it's too hard. I'm not going to do the work. I'm, I'm just so, Tom, what is, what is one thing out there that our listeners could do that are grieving as far as the work? What is one thing that they could do? Number one, remind yourself over and over again that you were not born to suffer. You were not. Okay. You were not born to suffer. You were born to be radiant, not, not in spite of the fact that someone that you love died but because of the fact that someone you love died. And this is the hard thing. All the things that you want, all the things that you want from your family and from your friends, you have to give all of those things first. You, you have to be compassionate with other people. You have to be gentle. You have to be kind. You have to be understanding. It's so odd because it's like when we're broken, when we are the neediest, when we need people to support us, most people run away from us. We're abandoned. Mm -hmm. and, and we have to become first that which we want to receive. Um, and that opens all the doors. I love that. Well, Tom, we could just go on and on with you, but I want you to tell people how they can get in touch with you if they want to join you in your journey on the web. And uh, you have a new book that will probably be out next year uh, at some time. And uh, give us your website. Okay. It's really, really easy. It's TomZuba.com, T-O-M-Z-U-B-A.com. And that's really kind of ground central for everything that I do. I have, a, I have an international Facebook page uh, community that's growing by leaps and bounds. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a coach, as you said. I'm doing online, really exciting, powerful online um, workshops and programs. And the most exciting thing is, is after about 10 years, I do, I finally have a book called Permission to Mourn, A New Way to Do Grief. And what's exciting about it is it's the first in a series. And it, it, it's been worth the wait for me. It's really been worth the wait in, in finally allowing it to be birthed through me. Uh, well, Tom, thanks so much for being on the show, and uh, good luck with all the things that you're doing and uh, with your ideas. I, I think it's really uh, amazing. Thank you. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be with you. Thanks, Tom. This is great. Well, Heidi, uh, Tom's an amazing guy, isn't he? He is incredible, and I love that he says, we have to become first that which we want to receive. 
he really has so many great life lessons. And like he said, we have to do the work if we are going to eventually thrive again. Right. So I, I want to say to people, um, if you are, if, if, you, if you're out of your grief, uh, of, you know, a ways where you're kind of wondering about your life, now's the time to uh, get serious about it and start doing the work on it. So go to Tom Zuba's site and uh, think about making those life changes because there is a beautiful and wonderful life out there waiting for you, just for you to take hold of it. And thanks for listening to our thanks for listening to our show today. And please visit us on our website at Open. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.